the first time I really heard your name, uh, it was, maybe it was the source of Double XL, but they did this thing where they were comparing rappers to basketball players. Mm -hmm. And they said that Talib Kweli is Lamar Odom. Wow, I think that was the source. It was the source, I right? I think so, yeah. And I, I, like, I heard your name because I knew you was playing, but yeah. I didn't know about you. And I was like, well, let me, let me make sure that that... That means you must be great and underrated. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> Peace and love, party people. How you feeling? My name is Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I'm back in the house with the people. This is the People's Party. Shout out to the always lovely and talented Jasmine Lee holding me down. Oh, that's me. Everybody make some noise for Jasmine Lee. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? How are you she doing today? So fun. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing amazing. Me too. Um, this episode I've been looking forward to for a long time. Me too. This is a conversation I've been looking forward to having for a long time. I love when we have our fellow New Yorkers on the show. Oh, it's all New Yorkers. Yeah, you know, it's a New yes. York thing right now. You know, it's my friends in from New York right now. That's what we're doing. Um, this gentleman that we have, it's my honor and my pleasure to meet him. It's the first time I'm meeting him. Uh, he was a star in New York City when I was coming up, and he's gonna open himself up and share himself in ways that are very important for our community tonight. Uh, this man is a champion, two-time NBA champion, sixth man of the year, he's an Olympian, but most importantly, he's a black man with a voice that we are happy to have on the People's Party. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Lamar Odom. That's Jasmine. Hey, Lamar, what's up? How you doing? Thank you for coming. Hey, no. I used to play PlayStation, basketball yeah. and PlayStation. That's how I learned <laughs> <laughs> most of my stuff. Made me feel old, though. <laughs> <laughs> now, you got this book out that tells your story. Yeah. Um, it's very honest. It's brutally honest. It's like New York honest. You leave nothing on the table. Um, was it hard to be that honest in your writing? Um, not really. Not really. When I just made the decision um, to do it with the person I did it with, and, you know, it, it came out. It was it was it was therapeutic mm. for the most part. Okay. Yeah. You grew up in Queens around the same time that I grew up in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that we have in common is uh, you went away to a school, Christ the King. Well, not not away, but you went to Christ the King. Yeah, I went to Catholic school. Um, I went to a school called Cheshire Academy. Which oh, is not a Connecticut. Cat yeah, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, was supposed to go there to play ball, too. Yeah, we had some good ball players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, B.J. Pendleton was there when I was there. Yeah. Jojo Hightower. Mm -hmm. um, they came to sort of be on a basketball team. Yeah. I was the only, it was like seven black kids, six on the basketball team and me. They came for that escape. Yeah. To escape New York City. Yeah. Especially in the, uh, you know, in the, in the 90s, late 90s, mm -hmm. still had crack in the street in New York. That's right. So we're still, you know, we're still, we're still reckless. That's right. Um, like Biggie said, either you sling a crack rock or you got a wicked jump shot. Facts. Um, you're connected to hip hop in a lot of ways. Facts. Um, but just coming up in the hip hop era, mm -hmm. And being from New York City mm -hmm. and being, the, you know what I'm saying, the best player from New York at the time, or one of the best players, mm -hmm. maybe the one or two, maybe me and Ron Artest. Right. You know, we're definitely connected to hip-hop through that. Word up, word up. Um, 
do you feel like a lot of people I know who listen to hip hop grew up without their fathers? Do you feel like hip hop? Well, I hate to say it, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? For a lot of um, America's mm-hmm. black men. Yeah. I hate to say it. I don't know the statistics of it, but well, they, it's too bad that's like the stereotype. I think what it is, the CDC just did a report where they said that um, the, the, the idea that black men in general grow up without our fathers is a myth because it's based on people being married. A lot of times people are not married, but the fathers are still in their life, so they're not able to really collect that data. But I think where we come from. Yeah. I can respect that, but I also can just, you know, it's just a bad stereotype. Yeah. We're black men, you know, because basically how we live. I think it's worse for us, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we have less, in, in general, we definitely have less resources. Mm-hmm. So when the family structure is is ruptured like that, it's harder on us because we don't see ourselves represented in the mainstream in the same way. Yeah. We don't have the same opportunities. Um, you have to work more jobs because you're not getting paid what a middle-class family is going to get paid. And so your father might be in the house, but he might not be there on the regular basis because he has to bring money home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, your grandmother was very influential in your life. Yeah, she raised me after my mother died. Okay. That was my basically my second mother. Okay. I feel like the name of your book is based on something your grandmother said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. She was a deep lady, man. And, like, some of her teachings, it's like, I can sit back and just think, mm-hmm. like, damn, you know, you, she was saying that to me in 1987, mm-hmm. and I'm living it now. At 40 years old. It's mm. crazy. Mm. Her wisdom was incredible. Mm. Do you feel like hip-hop, and going back to the hip-hop thing, um, sort of fills the void for a lot of us? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, man. We learn a lot of lessons. And, yeah, it's funny that you say that. My, my mother and my grandmother used to say, always say to me, I wish you could remember your damn schoolwork like mm-hmm. you remember them, them songs. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is. It is. Um, Farrakhan had this speech where he said, uh, I feel like one song. You all right? I'm not all right. I'm so sorry. This Jolly Rancher is distracting me, so I really have to take it from you. Wait, what's Your going Jolly on? Rancher. Are you that one you're eating? Yeah, I'm done. Oh. They sent, me, they sent me to come stay. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> Was that your they're, job? They're nah. like, they threw me under the bus. Nah, I'm done. Oh, you're done? Oh, yeah. perfect. Good. We're good then. I feel like I was in school getting caught by the teacher. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I would never be that it's teacher like candy from I would the baby. be the one getting in trouble. Oh, I feel like I did something. Like I was doing something bad. <laughs> I was I'm confused. Um, but I, I was, where, where I was trying to get to um, was... Um, we learned that you tried to start a record label. Yeah. And that's a part of your book that's very interesting mm-hmm. about this conversation that you had with Jay-Z. Yeah. Can you tell us about that? Oh, we were at the... Um, he was keeping it real with me, too. I wish I listened <laughs> to him. Uh, we were at the... Um, I think it was the ESPN Man of the Year or some Man of the Year mm-hmm. party. I don't know if Kanye was... Getting an award, or somebody he was with, or maybe he was getting an award, and he was just like, he was just like, yo, hello, what's up with you with this rap shit? And I was like, oh, you know, I got, I had a rapper who I believed in a lot, 
at the time. Oh, I still do believe his name was Ali Vegas. I yeah, I know Ali. Very, you know? Yeah, he's very talented dude. Yeah. And um, he was like, nah, homie, like, like you should be doing what Magic's doing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you should go into real estate or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. And at the time, I was Sounds like... Sounds like cellular advice. Yeah, but at the time, you know, Jay is like a real slick cat. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. At the time, I don't I don't really have a personal with him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't really know how to take it. Uh-huh. You know, and I know Ali is ill. Yeah. Yeah. He made a name for himself. You know what I mean? Yeah, like absolutely. real ill. Yeah. And so I think I took it the wrong way. <laughs> right. Like, vague, these motherfuckers must be scared of you. <laughs> <laughs> he like, think you come for that crown. Like, yeah, like, yeah. you've been nice since you was 16, yeah. 15, 14. <laughs> like, these motherfuckers must be scared of you. Right. And um, I didn't listen to Big Homie. Mm. But I wish I would have. Mm. No, no, seriously, because obviously he was just trying to... Set you up. ...reach out for whatever reason. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And maybe because... His personality, maybe he, the way he said it, mm-hmm. I just took it the wrong way. But yeah, man, with that "Get By" remix, when I had met Jay Z um, and asked him to be on the remix, and that's back when we had two A pages. Yeah, and I was um, he was being real cagey with it. Yeah, you know, like I, I couldn't really get a read on him. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, he's a Sagittarius. That's how they you are. Can't, you can't. I guess that's his whole style. That's probably why his whole maker, why he's so ill. Yeah, he's just it, I couldn't really understand. But after like three months, he was like. You know, I couldn't even reach him after a couple of months, and then yeah. he just, he sent it. Yeah. You know, and then when um, I saw him, I ran into him later at a party, like, a few months later, I was like, yo, I got to pay you for that verse, bro. Yeah. He was like, you, no, you can't afford to pay me for that verse. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get paid entire budgets. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, And you I know? just, sometimes I think about, like, damn, whatever I follow listens to Hove mm-hmm. advice, like. Mm-hmm. It's the, never too late. I know. Well, Kanye, you know, I was, he was trying to sign a ruckus, right, Jared? No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> did, did, did you fuck that up? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Kanye, when he was fucking with me and most, he was trying to get a deal. Um, everybody wanted his beats. Um, but, you know, you, I had a long relationship with Kanye. Uh, you have a wonderful relationship with Kanye. Yeah. Um, he seems brother, to have been forever, very but... supportive. Yeah, he, he helped me wake up. Mm-hmm. Him That's and, real shit. Him and his sister-in-law. That's real shit. Word up. I don't know what it is, music, but music, I've always been close to music. Mm-hmm. But when he was playing that, dun, 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 yeah. shit that ain't even come out yet, I don't know, it just did something. Life of me. Pablo shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting it with me. It just did something to me. You know, I'm, I'm very, uh, very anti-Trump guy, and, and Kanye and me had, had several conversations where I was very disappointed in him as a man, and there's things that he said publicly that I'd... I personally can't stand next to or yeah. stand by, but I would kill and fight and die for that man. Yeah. You know, the love I have for him is like, you know, you're not going to agree with everything your homies say. Yeah. Um, you see him going through the ringer and being criticized a lot for things that he said. Uh, what's your wish for him right now? What do you expect from him right now? Well, I expect for him to continue to be great. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And my wish for him is just for him to over for him to find overall happiness mm-hmm. whether it's 
mental health, you know what I'm saying, getting yourself upstairs because mm-hmm. mental health is, you know what I'm saying, that's the most wealth yeah. any of us can have because if, if you ain't upstairs in your dome, if you ain't right upstairs in your dome, then nothing going to work out right for you. That's right. But just happiness, you know what I'm saying? Right. I know there's a lot that comes along with him being as great and, right. and his lifestyle, who he's married to and everything. So I just know there's a lot that comes along with that. The things that people criticize Kanye about is his take on mental health. And he speaks honestly and openly about sometimes I feel like I'm taking my medication, sometimes I'm not. Kanye, in a lot of ways, regardless of how you land on his medication stuff, has opened up the dialogue for mental health for black men. I feel like you're picking up that torch and carrying on. Yeah, I want to get on, I want to get with Kanye and hopefully I can get get with him with this on this ketamine week, on this ketamine wave mm-hmm. that I've been um, messing around with with um, a close friend of mine mm-hmm. who I have on my own CBD line with. Tell us more about that. Um, his name is um, Chase Hudson, and um, he was a paramedics, and he just got into helping people, and he got into the um, into CBD, and. Uh, he came to me, wanted me to start my own line with him. Mm-hmm. And I started my own line with him. We created a line for my daughter mm-hmm. as well. And um, it's popping. And um, he got me on this ketamine wave. Like, yo, Lamar, you just got to open up. You know what I'm saying? If you just, if you want to get better. Because um, ketamine, could, you know, if you take, uh, if you, it can help with um, addiction. Mm-hmm. Any falsehoods you might have that's holding you back in life, mm. you know what I'm saying, can help bring you out of it. So I was like, fuck it, because I, my father was a heroin addict, so I never, like, intravenous drug use I've always been against, you know what I'm saying? Mm. But I was like, fuck it. I'm into getting better. It's crazy, because, um, you know, you, um, in 2015, you were the most Googled person on the planet, which is impressive out of four or five billion people more people want to know what's going on with Lamar Odom. Yeah, but, I mean, it could be a compliment, but all a gift or a curse, like, if mm-hmm. for the right or for the wrong reasons. That's right. You know what I'm saying? So you have to be real with yourself. <laughs> that's right. People, I do, I think that's an excellent point. I think in the social media generation, uh, Andy Warhol said that everybody's going to get 15 minutes of fame, and in- Instagram, it turns into 15 seconds or whatever of fame. Yeah. People are addicted to the fame and not understanding that the fame itself could be a tool, but that's not the goal. You know, to me, the fame is never the goal. If you are talented at your craft and you get famous for that, that's the goal. But you could be infamous. People don't understand the difference between being famous and infamous. You know what's so crazy? I always say that to people. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, friends that's almost, like, um, caught up Mm -hmm. with your popularity. Mm Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I always say to you, like, they were like, damn, L, you famous. And I always, like, murmur under my breath, like, damn, I don't know if I'm more famous or infamous. Right. You know that's, I mean? I mean, the fame is, 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 is fleeting, and fame is something that's, you know, people get famous for doing nothing. Mm-hmm. You famous for real shit. You famous right. for Olympics and, yeah. you know, winning championships. Like, people get famous for nothing. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, I mean, sometimes you can take fame Mm-hmm. And, and and catapult it into extraordinary things. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? It could be a great tool platform. Like what you're doing with the book right now. Wow. Um, I feel like you've had an inordinate amount of trauma and seen an inordinate amount of death in your lifetime. And 
I really wanted to know, you know, like even, you know, you, you talked about your, your mom dying. Mm -hmm. um, your son died as an infant. Yeah. Um, at one of the seemingly best moments of your career, you're lose, seems like you're losing people left and right. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel like that amount of trauma that you were going through led to some of the addiction issues? Probably so. You know. Um... And, you know, and addiction to gene could be passed down. Mm -hmm. That's what you were saying. Yeah, I was just because uh, my grandmother was an alcoholic. And my mom, like, from when I started drinking in college, she was like, don't drink too much. You know, that runs in your family, runs in your family. And then I ran to a point where now it's like I had to cut myself off from liquor because it's like you're drinking it too much and you got to, like, catch it. Because once that's in your body, it's easy for you to become like, addicted. You know, like... You know, God forgive me if I'm um, embarrassing anybody in my family, but my grandmother, who we talked about, like she liked to have a drink mm -hmm. late at night. That's like a little family secret. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. My grandmother too. She just passed away. Like to have a little. And my, yeah. But my father, you know, he shot dope. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I mean, it could have easily been. You know what I'm saying? Are you nervous down to me. for it running down to your children? Yeah. Yeah, especially my daughter. You know, she's trying to get money. She wanna be a model and mm -hmm. all that. You know, my son, they live in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. I know it's easy for them to get a bag of weed or whatever. Right. So I always had them had those talks with them. I mean they and they came to visit me in rehab. Right. You know what I'm saying? I always had them talks with them like, you know, you smoke one L. Mm-hmm. Who knows what that could lead to? What it leads to, right? Wow. Um, you were playing at an incredible level while you were dealing with addictions. You're dealing with a sex addiction. You're dealing with a drug addiction. And I think for a lot of basketball fans, people are interested in knowing how were you performing at that high level, being addicted and do you feel like if you weren't addicted that you would have played at a higher level or do you feel like it didn't have an effect? If I wasn't addicted, would I play at a higher level? Of course I would have. Because mm -hmm. it, it would have meant more time with me perfecting my craft. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Um, stamina, strength, everything would have right. been better. Right. Even at my best. Right. Even, if, even when I wasn't abusing, if it was just never in my body, mm -hmm. I mean, I can only imagine. Right. You know, but I mean, then I know, wouldn't be Lamar Odom. We wouldn't be talking about here. Talking, we wouldn't be having talk, talking about this book. Right. And me helping people. But so. Right. Everything definitely happens for a reason. I I remember. I don't remember which magazine it was. The first time I really heard your name, mm -hmm. uh, it was, maybe it was the source of Double XL. But they did this thing where they were comparing rappers to basketball players, mm -hmm. and they said that Talib Kweli is Lamar Odom. Wow, I oh. think that was the source. It was the source, I right? I think so, yeah. And I, I, like, I heard your name because I knew you was playing, but yeah. I didn't know about you. And I was like, well, let me, let me make sure that that... That means you must be great and underrated. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, <laughs> yeah, I want to make sure right that, that comparison, you know Word what I'm Word up. Word up. That's exactly right. Uh. Um, so... The compliment made him lose his train of thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... You're committed to this addiction, obviously. A fake penis is a huge commitment, bro. 
Oh, well, yeah. No, the commitment was to play for USA. Right, to play for the Olympics. Yeah, that was the but commitment. But you was doing what you had to do. That's it. By any means necessary. You fuck with Malcolm, right? Yes, I do. So, I mean, at that point, it was like, fuck it. Were you nervous when you went in there to take the test? Like, Not to take the test. I mean, to piss with the fake dick, I was yeah, nervous. That's right. That's a- <laughs> Were you nervous that you were going to get caught? Yeah. My sister took a drug test. And I'm going to keep it real with you because, like, in school, like, I could, to cheat, I could never cheat. Mm-hmm. I could have the cheat sheet and just be way too nervous to cheat. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, to play basketball for USA. Yeah, my sister took a drug test for me so I could uh, work at this call center. And I was about to shit bricks sitting out there waiting, trying to see if they were going to figure it out if it wasn't me or not. Stakes is high. Right, they cut her (laughs) hair out and everything. Shout out to my sister. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think people get sex addiction fucked up. Um, But sex addiction is something people look at sideways like they feel like, well, ain't everybody addicted to sex? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I, you could be addicted to sex so many different ways, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Especially now, with these damn phones. Right. Easy to have a porn addiction. Right. I heard you say once you ran out of porn to look at. When you, well, <laughs> when, you when it ain't nothing more to look at. That's an addiction. Yeah. Okay. That's when you're bugging. Okay. You're all the way out the window. In the book, you make it clear that it sort of separated you from people in your life and your loved ones. Um, what, getting high? No, well, all of it. I mean, this, I, was, I was speaking Yeah, because you want to always be by yourself. Mm-hmm. You want to isolate yourself. Mm. Or isolate the from, isolate yourself from the ones that's not partaking in what you partaking mm-hmm. in. You know? Yeah. Um, going back to the facing death, um, you wrote that you shook hands with death, which I thought was very interesting. Cause that's like some real Game of Thrones, Jon Snow type shit. Well, I tried to give people the visual of how close to death I was. Right, your heart stopped. Yeah, probably more than once. Yeah, man, that's that's pretty close. That's like flatliners. Yeah, I'm gonna keep real with you too. Like I had 12 strokes and six heart attacks. Jeez. Wow. So like I had, I got one uncle, he had one stroke. He's totally fucked up. Mm. Off of one. So, like, I can't imagine, like, having 12. Mm. Like, my mouth's not twisted. I can still talk to you right now. Understand me? Mm-hmm. See? Yeah, it happens for a reason. You're supposed to be here. And six heart attacks? Yeah. You're supposed to be telling this story, brother. I can't even imagine. Um, here's a direct quote from your book. Um, you were reflecting on the death of James Felton, who's also from New York City. But in truth, all three of us were kids from the New York area who suffered from one form or the other of mental illness or substance abuse, or both. But those things were either buried deep beneath the surface or dismissed altogether. I didn't know it yet, but you couldn't run from the pain forever. Sooner or later, it catches you. For Felton, it happened sooner, too soon. We were damaged and undiagnosed. To the machinery of basketball, each of us was nothing more than a temporary commodity. They sold us a dream, and we bought it. Um, People compare the system of sports 
basketball, NBA, major league to slavery often. Um, well, I mean, it's the only form of anything we call somebody our owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, interesting. So if, I'm a, if I'm an owner, then right. what are you? And you could get traded as a commodity. Um, I mean, I can see why people, you know, have their stereotypes, you know what I mean? And, and, and we like to think as a, as a people that we fall past that, even thinking like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? What do you have to say to people who criticize players? They don't really take into account how much money these owners are making, but they criticize players and say that you're making X amount of money. If I was making that money, I would just sit down and shut up and I would just do. What do you have to say to people like that? Well, what's the question again? That, you know, people, fans especially, mm-hmm. they fans feel ownership over the players. They get mad if you leave the team to maybe do better for your family, right? And they'll be critical of basketball players or, or athletes in general who might want to push back against some of the being treated like property. And they will say that, you basketball players are paid so much that they should just be quiet. Football players are, are, are paid so much that it doesn't matter if you could find out that you were traded through the media. It don't matter because you paid enough. What do you have to say to people? Nah, well, everybody could voice their opinion. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and fuck those people. Because I'm no... <laughs> that's, seriously, the, that's the answer. Seriously, because... We, those people. Because... Not too many people have a job where what they do is put on blast. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I don't care if you're a postman or you're a doctor. Imagine if you're a doctor and you had a bad operation and it was in the paper. Yeah, you're a quack. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you're a doctor and you had a bad operation and your salary or what you make comes under the fucking screen every right. three seconds as it does on ESPN. Right. So, the, you know, it's two different playing fields. Right. What's interesting about that is um, Drake at the Grammy said something that I thought was very important. And he won. He was competing against Travis Scott and Cardi B, who were, you know, he considers friends and his peers. And he said that uh, music is an opinion-based sport. Sport, you know, basketball and these other things that athletes do is a fact-based sport. He said, we compete for opinions, whereas in, in sports, if you don't make the right decision and you don't come home with the chip, you don't win the championship, it could directly affect your income, affect your standing. When music is not like that, uh, because if you, as long as you have a song that everybody knows the words to, yeah, as long you're as you're hot, you're a winner. Right, you don't need the award, you don't need the trophy to be hot in music. Do you, what do you think about that, or do you agree with that? I agree with that, but as a winner, as a champion, I really want both. <laughs> right. So you have a very sports mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if I want to be the best, I want to be the Drake. Right. Right. What do you think if about... If I'm a rap, I'm fuck it. If, I gotta, if you got to say, if I'm going to sell my soul, if I'm going to sing a little bit and rap... Right. Then fuck it. I'm going right. to sing and rap to be the best. What do you think that sort of attitude brings to uh, communities. Sports, I feel like, you know, again, I'm not into sports. I don't pay attention to it as much, but I love it. Well, sports brings communities together. Right. Brings the world together. Right. You know what I mean? You're, you're talked about as 
the ultimate team player. Me? Yeah, from what I could see. I, I saw a lot of testimonies from a lot of players. You know, people wanted you to ha- on their team. Yo, a credit um, my upbringing, being from New York City, and um, you know, New York City basketball point guard mm-hmm. is like the ultimate position. So mm-hmm. I always try to pattern my game as a point guard, mm-hmm. and a point guard's job is to facilitate, get players involved, and that's kind of like how I look at life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't like to, I don't got to be the center of attention, but if I'm the one that's going to bring everybody together, then I'm going to play that role. Mm. You know what I mean? With the, with the basketball, you were famous. Your name was ringing bells. People was comparing me to you. Yeah. Um, but with the reality <laughs> shows, your two reality shows. Yeah, me and my ex-wife. Yes. These shows were so... Big again, they you were the most Googled pe- person. You didn't know if you was famous or infamous. Yeah. Um they were big because I mean people uh, wanted to watch you guys. But but the reality show, me and Chloe show, I can tell you that that was real. Mm-hmm. But that was a testament of where we were at and our lives and how we felt about each other. So it was easier for it was easy for us to work with each other. Y'all got engaged after a month. Was it love at first sight? Nah, but it was love that after thirty days. Okay, okay. It was love. It was it was love after twenty eight days. It wasn't love at first sight. It was it was awkward mm. at first sight. I didn't know who she was. She was playing hard to get. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a challenge. Okay. I think people loved you guys' show so much because we could tell it was real, yeah. and like people love to see genuine connections. They don't want to feel like. It's and being I, written out. Yeah, I, I think because it was an offspring of the Kardashian show and people don't really know how to take their show. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So when they kind of got to me and Chloe's show, they was like, oh, shit, it's the real mm-hmm. part of the Kardashian show. It seemed to be stressful, though, after a certain amount of time. I mean, well, the stress was like keeping the bitches away. Mm-hmm. Real talk. Mm-hmm. Women are very resourceful. They find their ways into your DMs, into your hotel rooms. No, nah, women are something. <laughs> I have a daughter, so I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. I have many women in my life that I loved or loved at one time. But um, what was crazy about it was, like, they got more aggressive. So you put... Remember how you were talking about the NBA and mm-hmm. having women because of that? And then they got more aggressive when I'm dealing with this woman, woman because I think it's a woman that they look up to. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a competition thing. In a sense. Mm-hmm. They want what she has. That's what it is. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Well, I mean, women are just very competitive creatures. And if they're like, okay, I love this person and this person loves this person, I want to get it too. It was a real tough position for me to be in because, like, I never really had a problem with getting women before Chloe. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't really tell, like, if it's just me. Right. Or is it because I'm married to her? You know what I'm saying? Right. Fuck my head all up, Mm. really. I read that you were in the Philippines recently. Yeah. Tell I me love about the that. Philippines, yo. What do you love about it? It's hood. It's hood. Word. Okay. 
It's I know hood. they have some hood ass Philippine Filipino motherfuckers here in California. It's hood though. Yeah. But they got like really like pretty, beautiful islands, beautiful mm-hmm. places. And our money go a long way there. Okay. It's like a hundred dollars is like five thousand pesos. Okay. And you you down there playing? Yeah, I was down there playing. I was representing the team from the Philippines, but we had a tournament in Dubai. Okay. But what I want to do is I want to um, go down there and play professionally mm. in the Philippines, get it popping off down there. Okay. Got some good ideas. I want to go. I ain't never been. You ever been to the Philippines? I have not gotten my passport yet. You don't got a passport? I know. I'm so basic. Oh. You got to work on that, Jazz. You can't be on my show and not have know, a passport. It's passports only over here. Yeah, you got to have a passport. <laughs> I'm going to get it. I, for some reason, I thought passports were so expensive, and I found out they were like $100, and I'm just like, no, what am I doing? they're very common. Yeah. I don't know. know. I'm embarrassed. But uh, your book comes out May 28th. Oh, tell me about the poetry in the book. Because you started the book with a poem, you ended with a poem. Ask that man right there about the poetry in the book. Maybe we should bring him on. Come on, Chris. Come on, Chris. Chris Palmer. Everybody, Chris Palmer is in the house. We chopped it up earlier. He was giving me some notes. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we had to bring Chris in. Let me ask you this question. I always like ask people like about their regrets because I'm always interested. Everyone has regrets, and if somebody says I got no regrets, that's somebody you can't trust. That's, that's not true. That's not real. It's not real. It's not real. If you're a human being, you have regrets. This is part of the human condition. You learn to live with them. So what, like, not your biggest regret, but like, what is what is one that you think about? Like what, like. A regret that you have if you, if you could go back and change like anything you do, whether it's either big or small, like what would you do? Well, just the way I treated women. Um, a lot of Manukian. Chloe Kardashian, Taraji P. Henson. It's just the way I treated women and like education. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I would have buckled down. And um, when my mother passed away, I wish that would have propelled me to like take school more serious instead of me just saying, giving me the excuse to say fuck school. But just the way I treated women. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's for all of us as men. Yeah, but I mean, I just did some shit that's just like... No, I understand, and you live your life publicly. Um, you know, you... I've, I've feel the same way for some of the ways I've treated women. Yeah. Uh, we have, as people who live our lives, people who are celebrities or make a little bit of money or whatever, we have access that the average working class dude don't have. Yeah. A lot of men behave the way they behave based on access. Yeah, I mean, and like, I, I consider myself a good dude, and like, all these women that I shit on, they would say, oh, Lamar's a good dude, but... Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just talking about like these calculated... Um, I'm just calculating misusing a woman, you know what I'm saying? Just for your behalf, you know Do what I'm saying? Think- yeah, we taught to be men that way. That's to be a man is to take advantage of a woman. Yeah. Yeah, we raised that that way. How yeah. many women you could could you collect? 
how many times you could take advantage of a woman, how many times you could get over yeah. on a woman. That's what being a man is in a patriarchal society. Yeah. What are you about to say? Do you think, um, do you think that the you that your mother, you losing your mother at a young age had a effect on how you were treated? Yeah, women? maybe subconsciously it could have. I don't know what, you know what I'm saying? I would think it would maybe make me um put a woman on a pedestal. Hmm. Were you searching for your mom? Maybe. Cause maybe if you have that void of a person. Hmm. Let me ask you this though. Two thousand, bro, come on. 2,000, come on. What? Oh, 2,000 women? <laughs> I mean, I probably was over-exaggerating a little bit. I mean, who the fuck was counting? <laughs> but that's some a narcissistic shit to say. Well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, I feel, I feel why you would have said it, but when you said that, and it became a big story about 2,000 women, first thing I thought about was Wilt Chamberlain, right? The next thing I thought about was imagine hearing that body count on a woman that you like. Like, how many dudes you been with? Oh, 2,000. <laughs> like, that's a double same. fucking standard, bro. But that's, um, that's America, but that's... <laughs> <laughs> we, that's a porno star. That's, we, we, you would say we, you might as well be a porno star. We look at that, but what you talked about, about what, you know, your regrets, a lot of people, when that came out, 2,000 women, a lot of people, dudes who were raised to be sexist and be like that, collect women, it's like, yo, that nigga was doing his thing, yeah. son. Yo, that nigga's you know, an ill nigga. Yo, there's an ill nigga right there. Yeah. Hey, look, yeah. hey, hey, bro. everything. But imagine if you heard it about a woman, it'd like be like, that that's a whore. whore. You fucking She has no value. No We balls. would just be super judgmental. Come sucking. Yeah, all that. All that. It would be the most foul, vile shit you could think. Bro, I don't even know 2,000 people. I've never <laughs> met 2,000 people, man. And also, a woman would never admit that they had sex with 2,000 men. You can't. The society has deemed it. Look, I mean, if a if woman's body count is over If women look at me and never want to say anything people? to me, I wouldn't be Listen, surprised. I'm not asking you to spill your business all on the streets. Uh -oh. yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I've only had sex with nobody, so okay. it's OK. Let me ask you this, though. How come every girl I've ever met in my life has only had sex with two people? Because that's what they want you to think. And if they had sex with two people, they probably had sex with about 10 or more. They got to get probably, their story straight, no, man. there's got to be a mathematic metric, like, if you add and, and you know what I'm saying, multiply think, by the exponential. The you know what? If they say two, that really means you have to add 30 to every two. It's well, not no, it's rule, it, yo, no, it's, it's, you don't want to lie, but you don't want to feel like you're inexperienced. Right. So two makes you feel like, oh, you just lost your virginity and had a mess up, and you're fresh and ready for me. Well, it's the rule, <laughs> it's the rule of three, and it goes both ways for men and women. And so the rule of three is whatever number she tells you, you multiply that by three. Whatever number a dude tells you, you divide it by three. Oh, see, that's the math. See, I was just guessing this math, but he got the, he got the math. <laughs> I got the analytics on this. What good is you doing? He, he got the data. Ladies and gentlemen, Lamar Odom, give it up. It's the people's party. Who's your favorite live rapper? Most deaf and him, bro. Come on, man. Who the fuck is you talking about? I like Karis one. Really? Uh, I mean, that's what I learned. That from. The as, as far as live performers, I've you know, as far as just just MC with a DJ, and I've seen Karis One with whack DJs. Like Karis One's so dope. Like this is real talk. I've toured with this nigga. He he don't bring a DJ. He show up, get to the party, like where the DJ at? 
You got this record, you got that record. Who just use any DJ? Whoever the DJ, he save his money. You know what I'm saying? He don't bring a DJ. He just tell the DJ, play, he, might, he might give him some pointers and suggestions, but he just do his set. Yeah. He, he starts his set like he does a mic check, but he freestyled a mic check. In my generation, it was very pro-black on your sleeve. It was like, you had to be like, you had to be reading out of a book right, and right. talking to sound like Malcolm and real pro-black. Yeah, yeah, J. Cole and Kendrick, they rapping about bitches. But the way they doing it is like the hook. Cole is a little bit more deeper than that. No, but this is what I'm about to say. It's like they smarter. They they they're not the pro black shit. It's more right, about right. I'm a free thinker and I'm me. They I'm mainstream the pro black. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not your idea idea of a black man. So it's not like I'm giving you pol- political social commentary. Right. It's I'm telling you about my my emotions and myself, and it might be different than the average nigga. And I'm going to talk about what niggas want to hear about. So Kendrick is going to talk about the flagging in the streets, the red and the blue. J. Cole is going to talk, talk about Don't Save Her and Girls in the Club, right? But when you listen to the verses, yeah. the hooks is always ratchet. Kendrick, pull up, drink. Oh, Kend- I love bad bitches. All the hooks is super, super ratchet. Yeah. But the verses be very deep. Still yeah, because like you said, they realize, they look at what me and Most Def did. And they look at Kanye. Kanye's a good example because everybody learned from Kanye. That's what it is. I think he's... He's the godfather. Of y'all shit, love yeah. Of y'all lane. He is the. Cause he took he took what we was do he took we did at Raucus. Yeah. He took Rockefeller the yeah. the biggest uh, the Louis Vuitton backpack, okay. that image of I'm a backpacker, but my backpack is Louis nigga. Yeah, right. That image it was very important. And Kanye married the Rockefeller fly in the club mm-hmm. velvet rope popping champagne with the Raucus like I'm down with Dead Press Common Quality. But I'm, yeah, he married it. And so the kids who came after, Drake took what Kanye did and took it to a next level. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Now you got people coming out after, and, and J. Cole took what they both did. J. Cole's like a mix of Kanye and, and Drake. And, but he, he got a little me in him. He got a little well, common. I always thought the, the modern day you was Chance. Yeah, Chance is a little Christian for my taste. Okay. But I think he's, <laughs> I think he's, yeah, he's, 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 I think his sincerity. You get, I, I, people see me as sincere. You know what I'm saying?